What do you think of when you hear the phrase mountaintop experience? How many have had a mountaintop experience? Anybody? Okay. We got one person? Excellent. I assume it was together. So we're probably literal thinkers here. I am assuming that uh, some people, when they hear that phrase, they think of a time they went up a mountain. Right? Uh, so uh, maybe a, a youth group or a, a group of, of people, family, went hiking or something like that. And you had a mountaintop experience. And you're literal thinkers, right? Uh, so uh, a hiking trip. And you think of the sights you see from the peak. Right? That was amazing when you finally get there, and oh my goodness, I'm so exhausted. And you, but you finally get to the top, and you look, and it's like, that is amazing. Right? Uh, or maybe you think you're a very literal thinker, and you, you, you think of the next day, or, or, or you come into work Monday, and, and they're like, what happened to you? And like, oh, I had a mountaintop experience. Yeah. I could barely walk after that mountaintop experience. Uh, so, so it depends on if you're a pessimist or an optimist, what you think of the phrase mountaintop experience. Or, or maybe you think metaphorically. You might be a metaphorical thinker, and you think of uh, some great achievement you had and what that felt like when you finally accomplished that great thing. Or it might be a, a great thing that happened that caused you to have this great emotional feeling uh, whatever it was, a, a, a moment of peace or, or some great reflective time in your life. Or maybe you think of your fear of heights. That might be, yeah. I think of my fear of heights when I think of mountaintop experience. I look up at that and I say, nope, not going to do that. Uh, I'm a literal thinker. So, so I think of when, when someone uses the phrase um, mountaintop experience, I think of a time that our church, uh, I was, I think it was my first year in, in college, and our church decided to do an Easter sunrise service. And we don't have a lot of mountains in Massachusetts. We have mounts. That's that's what mounts. Is, that's what that's about as high as we get. Um, you know, those been to Colorado or other places like that. You have mountains. We have mounts. Uh, and so we went up Mount Wachusett, and uh, it was really cold. Uh, Easter uh, in Massachusetts is extremely cold. Uh, and, and so even on a mount, it gets significantly colder at the top. Well, you want it to be a sunrise service, so you have to get out there pretty early. So we were hiking up in the pitch black uh, up this mountain, and all I remember is thinking, I got out of bed for this. I got out of bed, and I'm freezing cold waiting for the sun to come up, you know, and, and, uh, and we were going to sing some songs and think, and then we're going to go to that. Of course, then we're going to go to church after that. Um, uh, that's my mountaintop experience. Was, was freezing on the top of this mountain. It just all depends on if we're pessimist or optimist. We're going to look at a famous, probably the most famous mountaintop experience in the history of the world. And that is found in 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to, I want to give, before we read this text, I want to give just a little bit of background because the background is going to be important to our discussion. Uh, Israel, at this point in time, has had a drought. They had a drought because of their idol worship and, and because King Ahab and, and his wife Jezebel uh, have introduced all of these idols. God said, I've, I've had enough of this. To this point, basically the most wicked kings that there have been in Israel. And he says, okay, you're going you're gonna to go for a few years without rain. 
God says, okay, time to, we, we're going we're gonna to resolve this situation. And so he, says, uh, he, he tells Elijah, he says, go and tell him there's going to be some rain. So as he's going, he meets a, a, a man by the name of Obadiah, not the Obadiah that wrote your Bible as far as, as, far as I understand. Obadiah is just a servant of the king, and, and he's hidden some, some prophets in, uh, the, in, a, in a cave, two, two caves. He's hidden them in two groups of 50. And he's been feeding them with the king's rations. Uh, so, so he's already on shaky ground if he gets discovered. And, and, and Elijah says, okay, go tell King uh, Ahab that I'm coming. And he's like, what do you want? Just, why don't you just sign my death warrant right now? No, no, you just go. It's, it's, it's going to be all right. You go and tell him that I'm going to meet him uh, today. Uh, the, the, the drought is over, but we, got, we have some more work to do. And with that, we start in verse 17. First Kings chapter 18, verse 17 begins. He says, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he said, Oh, I haven't troubled Israel. It's you. You and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. And now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Elijah came to the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal, then follow him. But the people answered and said nothing, or answered him not a word. And Elijah said to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one for them, cut it in pieces, put it on the wood, put no fire under it. I will prepare the other one, lay it on the wood, and I will put no fire on it, or under it. And you will call on the name of your God, I will call on the name of the Lord. And the Lord answers with fire, this God. Pretty simple. Make sure you know it's cheating. Right. So the people said, okay, it's a good idea. So Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose one for yourself and prepare it first, because you're many, and call the name of your God. But put no fire under it. Again, no cheating. <laughs> Got to repeat that to them. I wonder why. So they took a bull, which was gifted to them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, and saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered they leaped around the altar which they made. And so it was at noon that Elijah started mocking them. He said, why don't you cry louder? He is a god. He might be meditating. Or maybe he's busy. Or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he is sleeping. You need to wake him up. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood was rushing out. And when... Noon had passed. They prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, and there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid any attention to them. And Elijah said to the people, All right, come to me. So they came close, and he put back the altar, repaired the altar of the Lord that they had broken. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come to Israel, saying, Israel shall be your name. And when the stones 
Uh, and with the stones, he built an altar with the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sayas of seed. I don't know what that is. But he put wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And they said, do it a third time. So they did it a third time. The water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came close and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people will know that you are the Lord God, and you have turned and turned their hearts back to you again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and stone and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench, and the people saw it. And they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Grab the prophet of Baal, don't let even one escape. So they grabbed him. Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and executed them there. After this, the drought ends, and there's more of the, that story. We're going to get into a few details later of, of what happens after this. But Elijah enjoys an incredible victory, doesn't he? Now, we all love the sarcasm that he displays. That's the, the highlight of the story to many people. Hey, he's sleeping. He's on vacation. You should yell out. And they listen to him. Yeah, Elijah's got a point. From the beginning, Elijah displays this unwavering determination. From, from even the moment that he meets Obadiah. And, and that's the, the roots of his mountaintop experience are in what happens before. And this relationship with God, this, this, just this great confidence that he walks around with on a daily basis. His mountaintop experience began long before the mountain. Now on the mountain he's growing more and more confident as the priests go more and more insane. And his confidence grows as he establishes this extreme test for God. And God delivers. And that's part of the mountaintop experience. God delivers. And I wonder if there's a moment where he's setting up this, this challenge where he's thinking, I really hope God comes through. There's a lot of people that don't like me right here. And if, if, if he doesn't deliver, what, what then? Yeah, I just think there's got to be a part of him that's human and goes, I hope I haven't put a, too big of a test for God to come through on. You ever do that? You ever speak confidently about God and wonder if he can cash the checks you're writing for him? You ever do that? But God comes through. When that fire came down, I'm sure Elijah was pretty relieved. He might have been as, almost as surprised as the priests. Like, I'm really glad that that happened. Sometimes we don't feel what we know. and it's, I know God can do this, but sometimes I don't really feel like He'll do it. And when He comes through, it's quite an exciting thing. It, wait, wow! What an awesome, awesome thing. I uh, used to clean 
uh, a car dealership. I, I worked for a, a, a janitorial service, and I, I had the keys to the only keys that our company had to this car dealership, the a Chevy Cadillac dealership. I had the keys. I lost them. That was a nerve-wracking day for me. Uh, I worked for uh, a friend who was also a Christian, who was also... Uh, we went to church together. It just There was a lot of relationships involved. And I lost the keys. I lost his bread and butter. That's his family's... I mean, that was his big account. Right? I lost the keys to his big account. There was a lot of pressure on me. I turned over everything uh, I was staying. I actually lived with, at the time, I was renting a room from his father. This is just really, <laughs> it was, there's a lot, of go, a lot of things going on in this, uh, in this relationship. And uh, I turned over my room uncountable times. My car... I went to the office. He didn't know this. I, I took the hinges to his office door off. I broke in because he was doing something, and, and uh, uh, I searched his office. We had that afternoon. We had um, we had switched uh, some heavy equipment from one van to another. I, I went out back. It was getting dark, and uh, I, I took a flashlight and I scoured the backyard where we had done all this work. I, I did everything. I went back and tore my room apart again. I, I, I just and it's the time is coming. I I, fortunately, it was a third shift job. I could do it any time before five in the morning. It's now about nine thirty, ten o'clock. I I can't look anymore. It's dark out. I'm not going to find it outside. Uh, I, I just I was at wit's end. And I said, God, I have nowhere left to look. And I said, I do not know how. I do not know how, but I just pictured myself cleaning the car dealership that night. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to be cleaning that tonight. I am not kidding you. As soon as, soon as I stopped praying, I remembered. I had gotten a ride with Kurt's dad to church that night. I ran out, looked in the back. And the keys had fallen out of my pocket in the backseat of his dad's car. It is the weirdest moment, among the weirdest moments, I say that, uh, is among the weirdest moments in my life. And I'm, I, I'm telling you, that it's a mountaintop experience in that sense. Just the elation when God delivers on things that we write checks for. And to see enemies defeated, to see that happen must have been incredible for Elijah. To see, we, we, we structure our life and want to see God win, in the, not just in my opinion, but so that it's obvious to everybody. You want to see everybody recognize God you want to see that moment? Elijah saw that moment. We don't always get to see that moment. Elijah got to see it. What an incredible mountaintop experience. Now, I'm not condoning killing your enemies. But to imagine seeing what a dent was made. These are all the prophets of an incorrect religion. Wiped off the face of the earth. 
their religion no longer essentially exists. Imagine the worst thing you can imagine right now. That If you could wave your magic wand and it was gone, what would you erase from society? Think about that. And imagine that happened. Imagine you were instrumental in that being gone. What type of a mountaintop experience would that be? To have your name forever connected to the defeat of whatever it was. The elation you would feel would be this right here. It would be what Elijah felt. And then you would have to come down from the mountain, as we all do. The trip down is not always pleasant. I learned how to snowboard. My friend taught me. You already know where this is going. Uh, a, a friend of mine was a snowboard instructor, uh, and he taught me how to snowboard in Killington. Again, out east, we only have mounts. We don't have, we don't have, you know, things like you know, Colorado can boast. But still, we have one uh, up in up in Vermont where I was living at the time. We have a good mountain, mount, right? uh, Killington, and. Uh, and so he, he taught me on the bunny slope. He's like, you've got to know four things, turn left, turn right, go. Uh, here's how to go straight, and here's how to turn. And, and that's, this, is, this is all you need to know, here's how to stop. Or go, go stop left, right. That's all you need to know on a snowboard. So he taught me. I was doing pretty good, I thought, on the bunny slope. I then decided to go up. I was like, I'm going to take this gondola here. I picked one. It was, I'm not sure it was either a blue or a black diamond. It was long. It was the gondola ride itself was about ten minutes. You can fall a lot in about a mile and a half. I'm telling you. I did this three times that day because I was going to get my money's worth. I learned that the trip down, the you get off, and everybody's watching. Everybody's there. You're you're you got to get out of the way because everybody's coming off behind. You got to go. So I went. Uh, the trip down the mountain is not always the nice, pleasant mountaintop experience. And Elijah has this trip down. Because we come to chapter 19. Jezebel. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, Let the gods do to me and even more so if I do not make your life like one of those prophets by this time tomorrow. You've got 24 hours and you are going to be dead. Oh, confident Elijah probably just told her where to stick it. But no, in verse 4, he went himself on a day's journey into the wilderness, came down and sat under a tree and prayed that he would die. And said, it's enough. Take my life, because I'm not better than my father's. And he laid and slept under the tree, and an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was some cake and cooked on coals in a jar of water. He ate it, drank, laid down again. And the angel, the Lord, came back a second time and said, Get up and eat. The journey is too great. So he rose and ate and drank. And he went to a cave, spent the night. And God says, What are you doing here? 
And he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts and the children of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. And he said, go out, stand on the mountain in front of the Lord. The Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but he was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. They torn down, they forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And he said, Go back. On your way to the wilderness of Damascus, when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king of Assyria. Anoint Jehu over the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha as the son of Shaphat of Abel. You shall anoint as a prophet in your place. How do you respond after the mountaintop experience? After you come down, Elijah curled up in a ball under a tree, in a cave. He could not cope. He thought victory would produce utopia. He thought victory would make everything go away. You see, the real opposition wasn't on the mountain. It was in his mind. Picture that thing, whatever it was, that if you could change it in society. And imagine what would happen. We'd be oh, ideal. What if you could overturn Roe v. Wade tomorrow? Satan would still exist. Whatever the worst thing you think in society is, Satan would still exist. And here's the opposition in his mind. I am not better than my fathers. See, he got the idea somewhere that this mountaintop experience made him better than his ancestors. In his confidence, he had overestimated his own worth. So when he was brought down to ordinary levels, this was a shock he couldn't recover from. It was too much for him to absorb. Here's the reality. We are just ordinary people. Even the people who do extraordinary things are ordinary people that God uses. And that's it. I am not a great person. You're not a great person. We're just people. And some people, some people are blessed to have accomplished great things because God chose them for that purpose, but we are still just people. Elijah was never better than his ancestors. He just thought he was. And he's faced with that reality. Here's the other thing. This is, I alone am left. And how did we begin this? With Elijah meeting a man who had hidden 
a hundred faithful people and a prophet. In fact, we will read a little bit later if we were to read that there were 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. Well, that's quite a little bit different from being the only one left, isn't it? See, self-pity is rarely accurate. And that's where the real problem was. His evaluation of himself. We all come down from mountaintops at some point in our life. We all have mountaintop experiences and we all come down from them. We all have emotional valleys. I heard a guy one time say that, that depression was a sin. I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> look, at how, look at how God deals with Elijah in the middle of depression. There's no condemning statements in here. There's, there's in fact, every indication that he treats him very gently and tries to nurse him back to health. And try, emotional well-being. He deals with him over whatever period of time this was. And speaks to him in a still, small voice. He's very gentle with him. God wasn't in a violent hurricane or earthquake. That's not where God was. God dealt with Elijah in a still, small voice. He was very comforting with him. But here's the problem. God has something to do and, and God put Elijah in a great place to do something great. And after the mountaintop experience, Elijah was not willing for whatever reason to continue to be used. And God says, listen, I, I have patience with you, but at the end of it, I have to have people do things and the last significant thing that Elijah ever does is train his own replacement. What a sad statement at the end of this great, great, great life. What a sad statement that a man came down from a mountaintop and that was it. How we react to the mountain. The mountaintop is great. Enjoy the mountaintop. I don't know what the victories are that you have. I don't know what the great moments you have. Sometimes we share those and, and those are great things that, that we accomplished or, or did some wonderful thing for God. Enjoy those moments. Let's celebrate those moments. Share those moments. But understand that that's not the end of the story. Satan still exists. There's still opposition. And how we respond to his response is going to determine a lot about us. Okay. We had a great victory and Satan says, yeah, watch this. I haven't made my last move. How do we respond after that? That tells the story of who we are and what we can be. Enjoy the mountaintop. But be ready for the valley. How will you be in the valley? We are all at different places right now. You might be going up a mountain. That struggle up for something. You might be at the mountain watching some great thing unfold in your life. You might be going down the mountain. Understand that at all points of this, you need to be with God. Don't overestimate your contribution. Your contribution is important. Don't overestimate what it means about you. In the end, it means something about who is with you. That God 
is with you. And listen. Right now, listen to the still, small voice. Not the hurricanes. Not the, the things that yell. Listen to the still, small voice. And what is it telling you? What is God telling you in the quiet moments when you only have yourself to listen to? What is God wanting for you right now?